And for our scripture reading, we have two passages. Uh, the first is Malachi uh, chapter 3 and 4. Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. We'll read the last part of chapter 3 and uh, into chapter 4. Malachi chapter 3, and we'll begin at verse 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for, whose, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And it is these last verses that also the angel used in, in Luke chapter 1. To speak to Zechariah. So we turn to Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 5 and reading to verse 25. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the, divi of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. 
and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the days these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marvels that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the day of his service was completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And our focus will be specifically on verses 16 and 17, along with the context. Congregation, ever since paradise, the Lord has been calling sinners back to Himself. From the day when Adam was hiding from the Lord and the Lord called out to him, Where art thou? And then as we heard last week, and as we read in Malachi, we hear the Lord saying, Return unto me, and I will return unto you. And all through the history of the Old Testament, His prophets were sent time and again to, to call His people back to Himself and to call sinners to Him. But now, suddenly and unexpectedly, an announcement was made that the messenger would be born, the messenger who would go before the Lord to prepare the way for the promised Messiah. And that's what we want to look at this afternoon. So our theme is the messenger announced, and our first thought is the, the purpose for which the messenger was sent, the purpose for which he was sent. We see that in verse 16, it says, the angel said, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Through the message that John the Baptist would bring, he would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. He would cause them to turn in repentance. Mark 1 says he would come preaching repentance. So the purpose that John the Baptist came into this world it was to bring the people to repentance, to turn them back unto the Lord. And that was the effect that was seen on his preaching. Because that word turn there refers to to conversion, to turning away from something to, to something else. And here specifically, to the Lord their God. You might wonder, well, was that really necessary? Because in verse 10, you, you read about the crowds of people that were at the temple waiting while Zacharias was in the temple doing his duty, bringing the incense. And yes, certainly there were the true believers in the in the crowd of people, the, the ones who, as Malachi says, sought the fear of the Lord. 
the ones who truly hoped for the Messiah to come. And even as it was in Elijah's day as well, where Elijah thought he was the only one left, and yet the Lord said he had reserved to himself 7,000 people who had never bowed the knee to, to Baal. But there were also likely many who, as Peter says, would say, where is the promise of his coming? People who had long given up, even as in the days of Malachi, where it said, where is the God of justice? Where is this promise of the Messiah that we've been waiting for so long? And Malachi, you remember from last week, he was sent to to preach to the people as well, to to call them back to the Lord, because they, they were backsliding then. There was much trouble in the nation and in the families and even in the church. And Malachi came to encourage them again, to give them one more promise that the Messiah would come, and along with it the promise of the messenger that would precede the Messiah. And now here we read that God sends this announcement also at a critical and an unexpected time. An angel came to Zacharias when he was in the temple, when it was his turn to burn incense. Now, Zacharias and Elizabeth, we read, are already very old, well advanced in years, and she had, they had no children. She was barren. And maybe that desire was still there to have children, but they would have long given up. They would have given up praying for it and given up hope, knowing how old they were. And we see that because when the angel tells them they'll have a child, Zechariah really didn't believe him. And this is very much a picture of the nation, of the spiritual condition of the nation. Yes, there were a lot of people outside praying at the temple. And yes, there would have been true believers among them. But that desire for the promised Messiah would have really faded from their view. In general, you could say they had given up. Like in the days of Malachi, religion had become either a burdensome duty to them or it had become so formal that it was nothing more than legalism trying to earn their favor with God. It was a time when the country was ruled by the Romans. It was a time when they were influenced by the the Romans and, and the heathens around them. And so as their expectation for the Messiah faded, likely so did their prayers and the earnestness of their religion. Is that something also that we can relate to? Because how often do we so quickly give up in prayer when it seems that God is not answering? When His answers are so long in coming, how does our spiritual life really start to, to dwindle when that, when that hope and the expectation in God really fades? Or when our own need for the Messiah seems either to be obscured by the troubles in this life or overrun by the cares of this world? How quickly our hearts can grow cold in that desire for seeking the living God whether it's for a new heart initially, when, when you first realize, yes, I need to be saved. But then after a while, the, the earnestness really fades. 
or if it's for believers who, who know they need increased sanctification in their lives and when nothing really seems to happen, it, it grows cold. Or when we see the need for God to work in our families or in our nation, how often do we start praying and yet before long the form of prayer might still be there? But is there still that hope, that expectation that God would really work? Well, we must never lose heart. We must continue because we know here and we see here that God never forgets. God always hears the prayers of His people. And after all these years here, now suddenly the angel appears to Zacharias when he himself no longer expected an answer. God sends His angel in verse 13 with a message. And He says, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you should call his name John. And notice he says it will be your wife, Elizabeth. Not like Abraham and Sarah who tried a different method with Hagar to, to see if they could get the son of promise, but no, your wife Elizabeth. He is the answer to your prayer. And He is also the answer to your nation's prayer. He's also the answer to God's promise that He had given so many years ago. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will turn many to the Lord. And you should call his name John. You know what John means? It means Jehovah or Yahweh has been gracious. Malachi 1 verse 9 says, Entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. The people outside the temple were waiting for Zacharias to be finished with offering incense because he would come out and, and give the blessing, and most likely it was the Aaronic blessing that said, the Lord be gracious to you. And here with this name of John, God is revealing that he will be gracious to them, that he is faithful to his own promise. Is that what we're looking for as well? The unfailing faithfulness of our God because that is our only hope. And further he says in verse 14, you'll have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. You can imagine the unspeakable joy that Zacharias and Elizabeth would have after a life of no children. How their home would be filled with laughter and gladness. Her shame and her reproach for her barrenness finally taken away. Her friends and her relatives and neighbors also would rejoice with her. And we read further how Mary also rejoiced when she came. But it would also bring joy to the nation. Joy to a nation after so many years of seeming barrenness. There is joy when he came to proclaim repentance and call them back to the Lord. Even though he preached repentance, which it may sound hard, and yet it was repentance to life, to turn them to God in Christ who was coming shortly after him. And what joy is there for you, young and old, when you also are turned to the Lord to seek him as John preached? Because that's the purpose of his message. That's the purpose of every message of God's word is to, to turn you and me to the Lord our God either for the first time or again and again. 
It's to show that our God is a God who hears and who answers prayer, the God who never forgets, the God who never leaves, the God who is faithful to His own word and to His own promises, and the God who says He will never turn away anyone who comes to Him. That's the God who John came to call us to. And that was the purpose of His coming. We see, secondly, the power in which He came. Verse 17 goes on to say, He will also go before Him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Malachi 4 verse 5 prophesied that. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And John there would go before the Lord their God. You notice how the angel is speaking about the Lord Jesus here. The Lord, their God. He is God. He is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And John would be sent as that great messenger before the great Messiah would come. And he would go in, in the spirit and power of Elijah. That means in the same spirit of God that Elijah was sent. John would be sent with that same power. And that is because nothing less than the Spirit and power of God can do. Nothing less than the Spirit and the power of God can turn sinners back to the Lord. John 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received Him, that is Jesus, to them gave He the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Nothing but this Spirit and the power of the Lord it can turn sinners unto God. John came at a time when the nation was again in a very degenerate condition. For the 400 and some years since Malachi, the nation had been backsliding again. And all through their history, various prophets had, had said this to them. Hosea said, you are bent on backsliding. Jeremiah said, you are in a perpetual backsliding, a continual backsliding, and that they hold fast deceit and they refuse to repent. The Lord says the more He chastises them, the more they sin. Their whole head is sick, Isaiah says. There seems to be no cure for this people. The same can be said for us. We are in a perpetual backsliding state. Whether we are unsaved, we are continually running from God. Whether we are saved, unless the Lord holds us, we will slip away and backslide from God. Do we feel that? Do we see that in our lives? That unless this Lord with His Spirit and power preserve us, we fall away. John came to them at such a time as this to preach repentance and to turn them back to God. Elijah, who was also sent to turn the nation back to God at a time when there were major divisions in the nation. Elijah had come in the spirit and power of God, even with mighty miracles, to demonstrate the power of the living God because the nation had rejected God and was turning to Baal. And here God also demonstrates His power from the beginning with John's 
miraculous birth, that from an elderly couple, He gave them a child. He announced it with the angel. And then verse 15 says you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit from His womb. And even the meeting that Mary and Elizabeth had together reveals that. When, when Mary greeted Elizabeth, the babe leapt in her womb. And, and Elizabeth herself was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says. And John would then go out later and preach with that boldness, with that Spirit-filled boldness and faithfulness, without compromise, calling the people to the Lord, even calling Herod to turn from his wicked ways. And verse 15 says, He will be great in the sight of the Lord, Notice, not in his own eyes. Humility is the mark of grace in a believer's life. And John himself would say, Christ must increase and I must decrease. He said that he was not even worthy to untie the sandal strap of Christ. He was only a messenger. But Jesus called him great. In Matthew 11, he said this was the promised messenger to go before him to prepare the way. This was Elijah who was promised to come. And Jesus said there was no one greater than John John the Baptist, great in the sight of the Lord, because he was a messenger sent to turn the people back to God with the power of the Holy Spirit. And dear congregation, the only thing that can turn our hearts, the only thing that can turn the course of our nation, is the Spirit and the power of our Almighty God. Even like it was in the days of John or Elijah or Malachi, Paul also wrote to Timothy that in the last days evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Religious people will become more religious and self-righteous. Sinners will become more hardened. There'll be a great falling away first, it says, before the great day of the Lord comes. Psalm 2 shows how the nations and the rulers gather together against the Christ. Revelation 16 shows how that even though God brings His judgments upon the world, it only increases their blasphemy and their rage against God. And like Israel, they would not repent, nor give God the glory. And the same is seen all through history. The days of Isaiah, Elijah, and John, and the days in which we live. Nothing but the Spirit of God can turn and bring repentance. Our hearts are bent to backsliding. And that's true for each one of us individually. We each need the Spirit to convict us of our sin, to make us tremble before a holy God. We see how, how Zechariah trembled when an angel appeared to him. But imagine how we would tremble if we have to stand before the living God, the Lamb of God on the throne, and if we have never been turned to him in repentance and faith. How will a person tremble when from, for all eternity he will have to be separated from him? When he said he came as the Lamb of God, to seek and to save sinners, but you would not come. 
How would we tremble when we have to hear those words saying that there is no more time to turn? On that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. But those who fear the Lord, as Malachi calls them, those who seek one another to speak of the Lord, you can feel so alone often in this world, maybe like John and Elijah. Elijah, who cried out to the Lord and said, There's no one left but me. John, who wondered if Christ was really the Christ, and he sent his disciples to go ask because he was languishing in prison. He was wondering what was happening. When we see our nation sliding from God, when it's using every ideology and everything they get their hands on as a weapon against the church of Christ. And yet you know the power of the Lord, how it has turned your life to the Lord, how it has stopped you and turned you in repentance to the Lord and faith. And yet we can still feel ourselves so prone to leave God, so prone to be pulled in every direction by the winds of our time and culture, how quickly we can be deceived in, in thinking we're doing what's right, and yet we soon realize we've been fooled. We easily fall asleep in a path on the enchanted ground, as John Bunyan calls it. So quickly we become cold and formal in worship. And why is that? Is it because we subtly have come to believe this question that says, where is the promise of His coming? Where is God who promised He would come? And when it takes so long, we give up hope. Are we making ourselves ready for that great wedding day when He will return again? Or is our religion nothing more than just a duty, an empty formalism? John preached in the power of the Spirit to turn the hearts of the people to God. And we need the same spirit and power continually. That brings us to our last thought, the preparation which he would affect. Verse 17 says, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Malachi elaborated on this, and he said it would also promise that the hearts of the children would be returned to the fathers. And this indicates that both John and Malachi came at a time when there was much division in the families, disunity, rebellion, troubles between fathers and children. A time when disobedience defined the people rather than godly wisdom. A time, as Isaiah describes it, when he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. He says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. A time when it seems that none are prepared to meet the Lord. And John came preaching like Amos did years before and said, prepare to meet your, Lord, your God. His preaching would begin to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. What does that mean? 
It's a picture of reconciliation. Reconciliation in the families, fathers and children coming back together. It's a picture of a greater reconciliation between God and man. See, one of the first places that we go, that children go, is to their parents. When children come to repentance, they need to speak about it with their parents. If they have sinful behavior in their lives, often they go to their parents to confess and to seek forgiveness. If your family is, is to be a place of joy and, and gladness and unity and peace and love, and, and when that's broken, when that's lost, there's a disunity. It, it needs to be reconciled. And so it is with God. Ever since paradise, we've been ripped from God, our Father, in the fall. There's an emptiness in all our hearts without God. And the satisfaction can only come through reconciliation with God. But as it was with Israel, we all wander in every direction seeking to fill that void. And the world is right there trying to fill it with everything that it has to offer. Every father longs for the reconciliation with his children. If there's someone has left because of falling away from religion or, or a dispute in the family, there's, there's the heart of the father wants nothing else than reconciliation. John preached to bring God's children back to God the Father. God Himself, you can hear Him calling in paradise, Adam, where are you? The Father searching for His lost Son. There was division in the home. And in the same way that prodigal son walked, when he walked away, the Father was watching, watching him go. And you notice that when he came back, the Father was still watching waiting for the return of a son. And so we see the path to reconciliation with God is repentance. The prodigal son, it says, came to himself. He realized he was convicted of his sin against God and his father. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it turned his mind, his belief, and it turned him home in repentance. There's a turning from disobedience to the wisdom of the just. There's a turning from sin to the Lord your God. Children returning to their father, a picture of repentance. Fathers returning to the children show there's reconciliation. Those arms of the father open with forgiveness, with love, with mercy, with favor. Have you found those arms of your heavenly father? Do you need to find Him again, maybe? Children of God, have we wandered from Him? Have we become cold and far from His love and His grace? Verse 17 says, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John came to prepare the people to hear Christ's word. Because when are we the most receptive to hear Christ's Word? When are we most receptive to, hear, receptive to hear that gospel? When we're brought to conviction and repentance for our sin. It makes us ready to receive that instruction from Christ. As long as Israel is not convicted, what did they say in Malachi 3.7? In what way should we return? 
What have we done wrong? Why do we need to return to the Lord? But when the apostles began to preach and the Spirit began to work in their hearts, what did they cry out? What must we do to be saved? The publican in the temple said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The prodigal son came back and said, Father, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, I'm not saying that we need to prepare ourselves before we can go to God. But here, John's preaching would cause many to turn away from sin and turn them to the Lord at the same time. That is repentance. John came preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And Jesus says the time is at hand The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And John could preach because he could point to the promised Messiah who would come after him to say that there is hope for sinners because Christ, the Messiah, has come. And now we know that there is reconciliation with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ who came and laid down his life for sinners, who entered this world in such a humility under the curse of the law, to bear that curse. Now in Christ there is that forgiveness of sins. Now there is favor and there is mercy in the arms of the Father for whoever flees to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Now there is power in the Spirit to break you from your sins, to turn you from your sin, to turn you from your backsliding, things that you cannot deliver yourselves from, where you feel powerless to go to God. But now there is this Spirit that is poured out on Pentecost. And now He calls all sinners to come unto Him. And this is why God calls you to Him now. And now the same Gospel says, Repent and believe the Gospel. It says, Malachi said, Return unto me, and I will return unto you. That same cry that was heard even in paradise, Adam, where are you? And for us today, where are you? Where are you? And when will you return? Are we ready for the day of the Lord? Has your way been prepared? Because Malachi 3.2 says, Who shall abide his coming? Who can stand when he appears? What a dreadful day that will be when we stand dumbfounded and gripped with fear, worse than Zacharias was, if you are not ready. The first great and dreadful day of the Lord is when Christ came, God manifested in the flesh. When he entered in such a spectacular manner, but the second coming of the Lord is more spectacular when the Lamb of God Himself will come in the clouds of heaven to bring that final justice. And now the preaching still sounds with those words calling, Return unto me, says the Lord, and I will return unto you. Can you stay away any longer? Those who have never yet 
fallen at the foot of the cross, at the feet of Jesus, and repented of your sins, can you stay away any longer? Is there yet any reason why you would not flee to Christ, to the arms of the Father? Where there is forgiveness, because Christ has shed His own blood for sinners. Where He has given His Holy Spirit to break the power of sin. Would you stay there any longer? The God who says He will not turn away any who come to Him. The God who says that His arms are still open wide to receive. His arms are stretched out still. He's the same God, the unchanging God, the God of miracles and the God of truth. And for those whose ways have been prepared, who have found that peace and that love and that favor in the arms of the Father, who have come and found Him true to His word and to His promise, that with Him there is forgiveness, that with Him there is peace that passes all understanding, that with Him there is reconciliation for the broken. What a blessed meeting that will be on that great day when you can see Him, when you will finally be received into His arms forever, and when you will never again backslide from Him, when you will never again need to be called to repentance because there will be no more sin when you will forever live in His presence, reunited in that family, forever at peace. Is that you? Are you making yourself ready for that great day of the Lord? Is your desire still there? Is your expectation still there that He will soon come? Either in the clouds of glory or when He takes you Let us remember his faithfulness to his word and to his promise.